Well, hello, ladies, gentlemen, everyone listening in. Thank you for tuning in to this new podcast of VORW International, the voice of the report of the week. Going out to, well, I don't know when. I would assume uh, it to be early May 2022. I may be wrong, but that's the goal. That's what I'm hoping for. So, you know, I don't have a date set. But I'd assume that to be the case. Hope everyone out there listening in is feeling and doing all right. It's a pleasure to be here at the microphone. It's great to have you listening in as well. Firstly, my apologies for the delay. Obviously, we haven't any sort of uh, set schedule for this program. I know that it just goes out when it does. Um, But at the same time, I was hoping to have a program going out a little bit before this. Um, but, but to admit to you, things have been busy lately in a lot of ways. With the YouTube, with my radio show, even with this podcast. But, uh, look, I'm here at the microphone, life is still going, and, uh, that's what matters. You know, you can't, in the face, and I'll tell you this as a piece of advice right now, and it's tough. Sometimes it's tough to follow your own advice. You can't lose sight of what good is left and uh, what keeps you going in times especially of adversity, be that personal or in the world or all of it put together and coming down on you, you know? That's all. Anyway... Today's show, we're going to have some opening discussion, then we will balance out the rest of it with some listener emails uh, that will be read and responded to. First and foremost, I am uh, going to be having advertisements on this show right now. If you're interested in advertising, please reach out. We've still got a couple openings. Send me an email and uh, we'll talk things over. Affordable rates, a good deal. Get your message out there. If you're interested, V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com. Now stay tuned for a message from our sponsors. Are you interested in cryptocurrency? If so, you may be interested in 0x Bitcoin, a fully decentralized ERC-20 token native to the Ethereum blockchain. Using proof-of-work mining, 0x Bitcoin is fairly distributed with no pre-mine, no insta-mine, and no ICO. 0x Bitcoin is designed to be the main medium of exchange and store of value on the Ethereum blockchain. 0x Bitcoin combines the Bitcoin properties of block rewards, proof-of-work issuance, mining reward halvings, and a 21 million coin cap with the Ethereum properties of speed, dApps, and DEX trading. Using the original Bitcoin within the Ethereum network is not possible without using a centralized means, such as wrapped BTC, which exposes users to additional risk. 0x Bitcoin is secured by Ethereum, making it immune to 51% attacks, 0x Bitcoin can be transferred faster and cheaper than the original Bitcoin, and can be used within the Ethereum network without the user giving up control. Look for 0x Bitcoin on Uniswap 
And for more information, join the 0x Bitcoin Discord. This ad was paid for by a 0x Bitcoin holder and enthusiast with no affiliation to the 0x Bitcoin developers. Alright, so those are some of the advertisers helping keeping everything going. Likewise, just on the financial side of things, if you want to support this program, a donation via PayPal is always appreciated. V-O-R-W-I-N-F-O at gmail.com or via Patreon, patreon.com slash the report of the week. Alright, so chances are, though maybe you didn't hear it, but chances are uh, you're aware of the news with this broadcast and uh, the exciting announcement in terms of the expansion of the program, but I'll give a short recap. I promise I won't keep this long. Uh, for listeners in Europe, Central, and East Asia, I do have a new shortwave broadcast targeting the area. It is being beamed from uh, a high-powered transmitter in Moosbrunn, Austria, uh, professional grade stuff, high power, it's the real deal, and uh, it's going to be every Friday. So if you're in Europe, if you're in Central Asia, if you're in Russia, or even parts of East Asia, and you haven't had a chance to hear my radio show, this is it. This is your opportunity. So every Friday, consider listening in. The frequency, if you've got a shortwave radio and it's just been collecting dust since you can't get a signal of my show, this is when you break it out, because this is your chance. The frequency is 9670 kilohertz. That's 9670. On some radios, that might be 9.670 megahertz on the 31 meter band. And uh, again, if you're in Europe, you could probably hear it. If you're in Central Asia or East Asia, you could probably hear it. Here's the time that you could listen. Every Friday at 5 p.m. British Summer Time, that would be 7 p.m. Eastern European Summer Time, or Moscow Standard Time, 8 p.m. Samara Time, 10 p.m. Alma-Ata time. It's a one-hour program. It's the same show that listeners in the U.S. and Canada, Mexico, and even South America have uh, been able to hear for years. Uh, but now, finally, the opportunity's there for you in Europe and Russia and Central and East Asia to uh, listen in as well. It's a one-hour program. I started off with some discussion covering the news of the day or whatever topics are on my mind. Then I open things up and uh, take and play some listener-requested music, give some facts and information about some of the songs played as well, but in short, it should just make a fun and enjoyable program to listen to. Uh, the opportunity was there. It's something I thought about, and I decided to uh, take. I'm really excited about it. I, I haven't broadcast to this area with high power regularly in over five years. So, I mean, for me personally, it's a big deal. And uh, if you have the opportunity to listen, I hope you can. And uh, I look forward to seeing you on the air. So uh, that's just some exciting news. Just remember the time and frequency. It's in the description. If you listen in on the shortwave, feel free to shoot me an email and uh, let me know how the reception is for you. Always great to hear from listeners, especially our international listeners. So, uh... Consider listening in. It's just, it's there for you now. 
and if you have the means to do so, I encourage you. All right. That said, uh, let's take a look at the news of the day, and uh, let's just see if there's anything that is worth talking about. Because obviously this world, you know, it is what it is. And uh, that's pretty much all you need to say about it. I kind of abide by the ideology, and this is just this is just how I am. I can't hide that. I am pessimistic. I think a lot of the time things are too far gone. They're uh, getting bad, and it's uh, only going to get worse. And uh, I think we're past that point where anything can turn around uh, for the better. That's just how I am. But uh, we will see. Right? We will see. I'm not really going to talk much about the uh, situation in Ukraine, because I think we've just heard enough about that. You hear so much about it, etc. So, let's just look through the headlines and see if anything else is going on. Let's see. One thing that I'll just comment on is the whole... uh, the whole Twitter thing where Elon Musk, I believe he owns Twitter now, or at least he bought it. Some people, because you know, here's the thing with social media, obviously I use it, but you know, things are how they are. And I don't necessarily like that. I remember, for instance, how I got in trouble on YouTube for just discussing the coronavirus and China. And I thought, why can't, why am I not allowed to talk about this, you know? I already, I knew that things were the way that they were, but that's when I got that kick and that slap of reality that, guess what? It's worse than you thought. And uh, that's why nowadays I just keep my mouth shut on a lot of things, because I realize now, guess what? The definition of things that you would think are controversial, that's changed. And uh, a lot of it, a lot of stuff, that is, is agenda-driven. And uh, make no mistake, that's just the way that it goes. And I don't like that. So you had people with Elon Musk, they're going around saying that he's going to be the savior of everything. And, uh, if I were younger, even just by a couple years, even let's just say pre, I don't know, pre-2019, I would be more optimistic. But, uh, I kind of just shrug, I say, so what, you know? I'll believe it when I see it. So what? I think the thing that really set me off was uh, when he said something about we're going to document every human. I mean, what's that about? Maybe it's just phrasing and all of that, but that sort of talk, it just sounds like the rest of them. That's all that I'll say. So I just don't see things that way. I don't expect... Twitter or any of that to be all of a sudden some sort of bastion of uh, being able to say what you want or not dealing with censorship or any of that. It's uh, 
to tell you the truth, what's my prediction? You can't even tell anything's changed. That's going to be my guess. You know, pessimistic it may be. I just, uh... Do you remember that famous song by The Who? It's, uh... Won't get fooled again, you know? Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. That's just the way I see it these days. And that goes for a lot of stuff. Politics, you know, you should realize how much of this stuff is just for show. And it goes all ways, all sides, all directions. There's a few people out there, and I'm not going to be naming names. You got to think for yourself and just see what you see, who I think aren't that way and uh, are different for good or for bad. But uh, a lot of the stuff, it's just, you know, it's nonsense. It's just BS. And uh, that's the way that it goes. I think that's more prevalent on a national stage um, than it is, say, in local politics. I think local government, you know, it's going to be a little different. That's the stuff that really matters. But um, this is my opinion. I don't think there's anything else really worth talking about, so that's all for me today. For the remainder of the broadcast now, we are going to be getting into some emails. It's a blank slate, it's a free-form part of the show. If there is a question you have, a topic you would like to suggest, or you'd like to reach out with anything, just listen to what you're about to hear and uh, go from there. V-O-R-W-I-N-F o at gmail.com all right and uh we are here and let's open up the inbox and let's take a look at a few emails as a matter of fact i don't really care anymore i'll let this out if it's deemed a waste of time but i need to figure out when i released the last show okay march 29th because then I want to go back to that date in the inbox so I can make sure we're getting to the newest emails. So here we go. All right. I let out a yawn, but I'm not too tired, so... Shouldn't really, shouldn't really be the... Uh, the end of me. What a stupid thing to say. Okay. Alright, here goes. We've got a question that comes in from Evan, who writes, My name's Evan, and a few questions for you. Number one, do you do any work other than the YouTube channel and the podcast? Well, I don't think this is... I, I think you, by that question, you essentially mean, is there anything that you do unrelated to the report of the week or VORW? And my answer to that is no. Uh, what I do, this is what I do, and, and it's enough, you know, and it actually keeps me busy. Um... I manage the YouTube channel, I manage the podcast, and uh, all of that. But it's it's not like, you know, I do this, and then I also cut grass on the side, or I uh, wrangle up, you know, shopping carts, 
at the local supermarket. Um, this is just what I do at this point. You also ask, how often do you actually go out to a restaurant chain to eat? Never. At this point, never. Um, I've been this way long before I even had a YouTube channel, so it's not like this is something that uh, is new. It's not like this is something that was sparked as a consequence of, you know, you know having this sort of attention from the YouTube. I've been this way before that. I remember, even in 2011, when I would venture out a little bit more. I never liked going to restaurants. I never liked it. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I never liked it. And mind you, this is before I had the YouTube channel to deal with. I didn't like the feeling of going into an establishment and people, whether they do so advertently or otherwise, their eyes, they look at you. Um, not, you know, stereotypically, like you see in cartoons or films where you walk into a place and everyone just stops and looks at you. Obviously, it's not like that. Sometimes it feels that way. But I just didn't like going into restaurants. And number one, the process of waiting to be seated and then going to your table... Um, I didn't like that. I didn't like having to walk past people. I didn't like all the uh, pairs of eyes uh, falling upon me. I didn't like the loud atmosphere, you know, the establishment embodies. I, I just don't like, you know, all the other conversations and the music and the clattering of um, cutlery and plates and, you know, one thing after the next. Yeah, the food is all right, you know, it's nice and fresh and everything, but oftentimes the experience and the anxiety induced thereby negates what might be a good meal. And over the years, I found that getting worse and worse, where in 20, uh, let's say 2011, 2012, you know, I would still go, um, I would deal with the anxiety, but I would still go to some sit-down restaurants. But then even by 2014, 2015, it was already too bad, and the anxiety that I would get, uh, you know, social anxiety, you can say, and the sort of sensory uh, overload from being in these places was too much. And I would opt out to, to going to a, a restaurant anymore. So even back then, I would just stay in. Now then imagine all of that, and now amplify it when now not only do I have all that to deal with, but now, yeah, people are going to be looking at me. People are going to be approaching me. People are going to be coming up to me with you know, shoving a, a, a camera or a phone in my face. People with no respect whatsoever are going to be trying to discreetly film or photograph me. And I have to deal with that wherever I go and whatever I do, and it just doesn't stop. So that's why I'm a recluse. Like sometimes I just can't take it. And 
it was bad enough before any of that happened, but after it, it's a million times worse. So, you know, I just stay in. I never leave. But I'm happy that way. I say I would rather never go out again, but at least I can be inside, and I'm happier that way. So, I am a recluse, but I am a happy recluse in that regard. Sometimes you get this misconception that if you stay in all the time, you've got to be, you've got to be miserable. That couldn't be further from the truth. Now, yes, sometimes that is the case, but the stereotype that if you, if you stay in, then you obviously have something wrong with you. I mean, <laughs> I don't know, maybe something is wrong with me, but, you know, I just am how I am. And... Some of these things, like, you know, when people come up to me and stuff, yeah, it intimidates me, and I can't really say I like it, but that's not your problem. It's, you know, it's not someone's fault because they recognize me and want to say something. I get it. That's my problem. And, uh, I'll always be happy to, you know, get a picture and, you know, make some, light conversation, etc. You know, I just hope that people understand and just respect um, boundaries and privacy and all of that, but Roger says we've got an important article, and, uh, let's see it, it's from CNN. Alarming levels of dangerous chemicals known as, I guess it's PFAS, maybe it's PFAS, I'll just, I'll just say PFAS, because I don't know if you're supposed to pronounce that a certain way or not were discovered in food packaging at a number of well-known fast food restaurants. The highest levels of indicators for PFAS were found in food packaging from Nathan's Famous, Arby's, Burger King, Chick-fil-A, Stop and Shop, and Sweet Green, often called forever chemicals because they don't break down in the environment. They are used in food packaging to prevent grease and water from soaking through food wrappers and beverage cups. The CDC calls it a public health concern and says it can harm the immune system and says that it could reduce antibody responses to vaccines. So thanks, Roger, for sharing that. I think it's uh, good to know. It's certainly, you know, for folks who find that of uh, paramount importance. I hope people take note of that. Uh, it's something that I think people need to assess uh, individually and determine um, what's what. As as for me personally, you know, let's be real. I mean, I kind of consume so much poison, if you will, each and every day. I, I To be honest, I just shrug. It's... Uh, uh, I don't want to say so what because I don't want to sound like I have something against, uh, against you, but I just kind of say, yeah, uh, you know, it is, it is what it is, and that's the choice I've made, you know? That's all that I could really say about it. Question for the podcast from Ryan. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your creative process. How do you structure the flow of a radio broadcast? Are there any hallmarks to a broadcast you'd feel missing without. I've noticed your signing-on message has become 
something I look forward to hearing and started to wonder whether or not there is a rhyme or reason how you arrange uh, the agenda for the broadcast. Now, I don't mean to mention this. I'm just actually looking up your email address. The only reason I mention this um, is purely based on terminology. When you say broadcast, I instinctively assume that you're talking about my shortwave broadcast, uh, the one that I do five times a week, uh, Thursday through Sunday on 5850 kilohertz, and then on Tuesdays on 15770. So when I hear broadcast, that's just what I think of, because, you know, technically is broadcasted. When I hear podcast, I uh, then think of what I'm doing right now. And the reason I I mention that because it merely may sound like a, a technicality, and you might say this is kind of an arbitrary technicality, is because you mentioned that it's a question for the podcast, but then you said radio broadcast, and that kind of threw me off because I'd have two different answers for you. So I guess I'll just answer both. Um, number one, which I think you're talking about, um, might be the podcast itself. Uh, in terms of that, there really isn't any sort of structure to the show. Um, like what I'm doing right now, it's not one long thing. So it's not like I sit here for, you know, however long the show is going to be, whether this episode is an hour or two hours or three hours. Never do I actually sit here for the entire duration and just do it in one long uh one long blitz or spate. All of these programs that I do are recorded in many segments. So, for instance, I have been sitting here at the microphone for about 20 minutes or so, and I kind of just spontaneously decided, I thought, I have a little energy tonight, so uh, I'm going to crack away at some emails. So, I pulled up a chair to this desk. I've got my laptop set up. I've got the microphone in a little stand, and I've got my water. I've got my water to the right and my microphone to the left. I'm sitting here. I opened up the email, and I hit record, and then I'm just kind of clicking around and going through uh, the emails that were, you know, that are here, and uh, I'm responding to them. But mind you, this is a 20-minute recording that's being recorded, you know, at 3 a.m. on a uh, Tuesday morning. This is going to be condensed down. You know, there are some pauses in between when I, um, when I do, when I go between emails, and I'm kind of sorting for the next one. There will be times where I have to cough, etc., that, you know, kind of disrupts the flow of things. So I'll edit that stuff down. And then I'll talk for as long as I do. Maybe I'll talk for... 15 more minutes, maybe I'll talk for 20, maybe I'll talk for 30, maybe I'll talk for an hour. But it'll get to a point where I'm kind of done for the night, and I'll stop the recording, and then maybe in a few days I'll feel motivated to get to the microphone again, and I'll resume that. And then I'll put all this together. So it's not like there's an extreme formula to this, it's just I kind of get to the microphone, and I record as I see it fit. Um... So that's when it comes down to these podcasts. I'll, I'll tell you something interesting. Again, I just say this because there's a difference between the certain openings. Um, 
With the podcasts, the show used to have a definitive opener, which many people I'm sure still remember, uh, which would go as follows, I would say, this is the voice of the report of the week, signing on. And I stopped really doing that because for some reason, even though that's well known by some, that would actually disrupt my flow. A lot of the time, trying to have to sit there and get to the script and say the thing that I'm supposed to say would kind of throw me off balance a little bit and it would kind of derail things and I have to go from feeling motivated to want to talk about something right away into having to recite the same old line and then talk about it. And it would just kind of annoy me a little bit. So here's a little secret. Um, what I wound up doing, I actually got so fed up with having to do that intro that um, back in 2019, I recorded it once, and then, almost ever since then, I just throw in the exact same audio clip so I never have to say it, because it would throw me off balance and I hated doing it. So, it would just be the same exact clip from 2019, and guess what? Not a single person ever noticed that, which uh, is just kind of funny to me. And then I just stopped doing it altogether, and, and there weren't riots in the streets or anything, so, you know, it's no big deal. Um, so that's for the podcast. Now, the radio show is different. Um, the radio broadcast, it's obviously not something that I can kind of do a little bit of here and there each day. So indeed, that has a bit more of a, uh, a flow. And the structure to it, um, kind of goes like this. It's just a formula in my mind. Um, I'll kind of run you through a typical introduction to a radio broadcast right now. So... As always, you know, you have to just get ready. I'll take a sip of water here, which is what I usually do. All right, you have the little time signal that counts down, and then it has the beep. And uh, then I'll go as follows. I'll say, Well, hello, ladies, gentlemen, and everyone listening in to tonight's broadcast of VORW Radio International, the voice of the report of the week. Going out to you this Tuesday, the 5th of April, 2022. So, that's how I first started out always. I give a polite introduction, the name of the program, and then the current date, so people know uh, that it is a new broadcast. I will normally follow that up, then, with a station or frequency identification, so I'll follow it up with something like this. This program is going out to you on 5850 kHz WRMI. Following the station or frequency identification, usually I'll follow it up with, with you know, some sort of, again, polite um, small talk. I usually wish the audience a, a pleasant day. I'll say, I hope you're feeling and doing all right. And then after that, sometimes if I'm feeling particularly talkative, I'll kind of interject with a little bit as to how I'm doing. Uh, otherwise, then I'll say, because this is what I've been doing, I'll say, into the latest developments on the war in Ukraine. Uh, sometimes I'll mention that the coverage is unbiased and impartial. And then I'll open up the resources that I have assembled before I got to the microphone. I'll open those up, uh, which is usually several tabs of uh, news articles, uh, points that I want to discuss, uh, maps that I want to consult, etc., and I'll kind of just go from page to page and just skim through them and, um, you know, read what I want to read, interject as I see it fit, etc. Uh, once the news is done, which that'll take usually yeah, 
10 to 20, even 25 minutes if there's a lot to talk about. Then uh, I'll give the contact information. I'll usually try to specify that I haven't any analytics or statistics or metrics since it's shortwave radio. And uh, I give an address for correspondence, for reception reports, and then we get into the music requests where uh, I mention the process for submitting a, a song request. And then I'll go through those. We'll get some music played. Uh, usually it's at random which songs that I decide to talk a little bit more about, but there's some songs, usually like two or three, sometimes four per broadcast, that I'll open up some information and kind of discuss some facts and some trivia about and uh, share some information. I'll give the uh, contact information a few times, sometimes shout out some listeners. And then always at the end of the broadcast, uh, I give a broadcast Sorry, I got distracted for a minute. See, that's an example. There was a there was a cut right there, because I thought I heard something, but it wasn't really anything. And um, anyway, like I was saying, at the end of the broadcast, I'll always give a broadcast schedule as to when listeners can tune in again. So I'll give a list of times and frequencies. So the radio show itself is kind of formulaic, um, but of course every show is independent of one another. And uh, it's something that you can listen show to show, but you don't have to. You could easily just go from um, and listen independently, or you could listen to all of them. And uh, it's a lot of fun to do, though. You know, it's like it's a process. It's something that I'm very familiar with, since, again, I kind of do it five times a week every week and have been for years. So it's like I, I don't even put any thought into it. You know, I just get to the microphone and I just do it. There's, there's, it's not like I have to think about each step. It all just comes naturally because I've done it so many times. And the big thing about it is that I like doing it, though. So it's fun for me. And uh, like I said, it's, it's worth it. It's well worth it, in my opinion. All right, thanks for writing in. Hope that uh, that helped. Dan in Nazareth, Pennsylvania, writes in, I just watched your Coke Starlight, and I was shocked to hear <laughs> that you seemed to refer to the ground outside as the floor. I've heard one other person, also a New York native, use the terms ground and floor interchangeably. Do you think this is a regional difference, or are both of you weird in the same way? All right, thanks, Dan, from uh, Pennsylvania there checking in. To be honest, and I don't, this is just, no thought was put into that remark whatsoever. Um, I wasn't even thinking about what I was referring to. That was just part of the joke where I just wanted to say something completely and totally random and see if anyone even noticed and uh, be kind of funny, you know, where people are kind of zoned out, a little bored perhaps. They're listening to me, you know, talking about stargazing or whatever, just wishing I'd get on with it. And then I just throw in eating raw meat off the floor and see if anyone kind of their ears perk up a little bit or if anyone notices or if people are intently watching and actually care, they might find that a little humorous. But um, I wasn't even finding... I wasn't even thinking about what I was saying. I just wanted to say something random. And in my mind, you know, eating raw meat off the floor, I think it sounds a little bit better than eating raw meat off the ground. 
it just has a better flow to it. So that's just why I chose floor as opposed to uh, ground. But um, I think normally in conversation, I would say floor, uh, indoors, but honestly ground, I would use indoors as well. But floor is, is mostly... Um, but at the same time, you know, you have the ocean floor. And obviously that's not like the, the type of floor that you would have indoors. It's just a matter of preference, I suppose. But uh, ground obviously being used for the most part outdoors. But you could use it indoors too. Whereas floor is mostly indoors. I know, So I don't normally, like for instance, um, I don't normally say... Let's say it's snowing outside, and I, you know, I'm looking and I say, well, I wonder how much snow, I would say, I wonder how much snow is on the ground. I wouldn't say, I wonder how much snow is on the floor. I would say on the ground, because that's in reference to outside. If you were outside measuring the snow that was on the ground, and then you tracked snow in and it was coming off the bottom of your shoes, I would say, oh, you tracked in some snow on the floor, because that would be indoors. But um, uh, like I said, honestly, there was no thought put into that remark whatsoever. It was just something kind of weird, and uh, it was just like a joke that I wanted to throw in, again, with no, no, no forethought. So I hope that helped clear things up a little bit. An email comes in from Nicholas. I was rewatching your Why I Wear Suits All the Time video, and around 18 minutes into the video, you showed yourself wearing a three-piece black suit and was wondering the brand and year for the particular suits. Uh, I'm new to wearing suits, and I'd love to have that one in my collection. So thanks, Nicholas. All right, let's open up that video right now, and let's see. I think I know which suit you're talking about, but um, I want to make sure. Let's find the video, and let's go to it. Why I wear suits all the time. And what was the timestamp you gave? 18 minutes. All right, let's go 18 minutes into the video, and let's see the suit in question. Ah, yes, the famous Review Bra 2017 fashion show. <laughs> I could have had a little bit better posture there, but, you know, it is what it is. Okay, there's the black suit. All right. That suit, honestly... It's not like it was any sort of... Um, specific vintage suit, to be quite honest with you. Um, I don't remember the brand. I don't have the suit in my possession... I will in a little bit, you know, because I'm not where I usually am right now, so I don't have that suit at, you know, I can't just get up and check it right now. Um, but to be honest with you, it wasn't an expensive suit. It was probably from the late 1990s, if I had to guess. And it's just a standard name brand, off-the-rack suit. It's not a big, expensive brand whatsoever. It was probably like... Um, I'm not sure. It was even, it was like one of those um, department store brands, you know, so it wasn't even, it was like a, one of those suits you would find at Macy's or Kohl's or um, 
J.C. Penny or something like that. So don't think that it was any sort of um, high-end suit, you know, from some special artisan from the 1950s or anything. As a matter of fact, the suit itself is just a two-piece suit, and the black vest is um, one that I would just add to the outfit to make it a three-piece suit. Um, but it wasn't like any sort of real specific suit. It was just like a department store off-the-rack suit from the late 1990s that I bought uh, on eBay back in, uh, I think it was 2016, if I had to if I had to guess. It was, was it twenty? It was either twenty. Yeah, it was twenty sixteen. I bought that suit in mid twenty sixteen, and uh, it was like inexpensive. I remember it was just it was for sale on eBay, and some guy said, "Yeah, I just bought this like twenty years ago uh, to wear for a wedding, and I never wore it since." I'm trying to clear out my closet, and it was pretty cheap, so I bought it, and uh, and that was the suit, but um. It's not like any sort of, you know, Seville Row uh, bespoke suit or anything like that. And most of my, none of my suits are. Um, all my suits are just kind of thrift store, off-the-rack suits. But again, people have to understand why I wear the suits. A lot of people don't wear suits for the same reason that I do. A lot of people just wear suits. Um, they wear them because, you know, they want to look... They want to look good. They want to look smart or fashionable or uh, any of that. I wear suits because I like to wear suits. <laughs> and that's all that there is to it. Um, with no regard whatsoever for um, modern styles. So some people like to wear them, you know, to say, oh, look at this suit. You know, it's perfectly tailored. It's, you know costs this much, it was, you know, I got it from here, and, and this, that, and the other thing. As for me, I just say, yeah, these are thrift store suits. That's because I like to wear them. That's, you know, that's just what I like. It's like someone asks, do you wear a suit when you record these? Of course, I'm wearing a suit right now. The suit that I am wearing is uh, a double-breasted dark gray suit from the late 1990s. I've got a white shirt. And a grayish pattern tie with a little bit of purple on it. The tie itself is from Stafford, which, you know, is a pretty basic brand. The dress shirt is just an arrow dress shirt. And this suit is from 19... Let's see. I think it actually said on the tag here. Let's look. It's a 1995 suit that was sold at Marks and Spencer. So it's like, I'm not wearing designer clothing, but that's not the point. It's like, you might say, yeah, this is like something that someone in the 90s would wear to the office. Exactly. That's, that's what I'm going for. So, um, you know, in the pants, they're exactly what you would expect. You know, they're pleated. They're cuffed, they're wide leg, drapey, and um, I think, like I said in the last show, this suit and every other suit that I have is it's the antithesis of slim fit. You know, it's the opposite of what people wear these days, and it's just how I like it. So thanks for writing in.
All right, we have an email coming in from Alexander, who uh, writes as follows. Your fastidious reviews and well-thought-out discussions are greatly appreciated by me. Personally, I'm close to you in age. I wear a suit every day. Many days I carry a pocket dictionary. I do not have social media, nor do I listen to podcasts, but I find your depth of knowledge and exertion of care on your topics endearing, and therefore make it a point to enjoy your shows through the platforms of YouTube and SoundCloud to interject. Thanks for uh, listening in, and thank you for uh, considering these programs. To continue, you were spot on with your assertion that radio serves a crucial role, especially with respect to the balkanization happening in Eastern Europe. Mainstream media focuses on taking issues that are complicated, morass, and multidimensional, but in no way esoteric, and leading the minds of the vulnerable through out-of-context clippings and other miscarriages of piecemeal reports, illusory sources, and other strategies to ostracize the facts, or any healthy challenge thereto, with total disregard for society at large, nor with regard for the repercussions, with only the furtherance of the platform's political motivations slash ambitions and ratings in mind. It's as if the media desire is not to be fair and accurate, but to be perfunctory and perpetuate vacillation in our society until a new issue arises and the former is long forgotten after a very short period of time or so, like a casino's efforts to have a patron keep coming back. My family owns golf courses, among other operating businesses, and nothing raises the ratings on TV like announcing weather storms, but we have the statistics from our golf course play that over 62% of the time, the weather announced never makes it, or at least to the degree held, but boy does our daily play go down when they say so. And you clarify that vulnerable in a person uh, is defined as uh, through historical trust in the truth of the media, ignorance, blind followings, and otherwise in fear of independent thought, or otherwise labile, that is. And uh, again, to interject with your, uh, your thoughts, yes, ab absolutely. Obviously, you know that you're essentially uh, speaking to the choir here with me, because I, I understand um, the media... It's one of those things that these days I would hope people would understand that so much of it is agenda-driven. And uh, many of the things that are shown to you, I wish people would ask the question, why precisely is such a thing being shown to me? You know, and a lot of people don't ask why. They just consume and accept uh, without, without any consideration. That's why when I do the broadcasts about, let's say, the war in Ukraine, I try to explain that this is a very complicated situation. And what you see, you have to be careful with. There is a lot of misinformation. There is a lot of deliberate disinformation. There is a lot of blatant propaganda on all sides. It's not just this one side that's spewing misinformation and everything else from the other side is the irrefutable truth. You have to be objective. You, you have to be impartial when you're sorting through this. You have to understand that propaganda, it goes both ways. 
And you also have to realize that people take sides. People, obviously, in the West have picked a side. But you also have to realize that even the good guys can potentially do bad things. What you see these days, though, people are very reactionary. And people are very quick to judge and quick to make definitive decisions and make very serious assertions about certain things before all of the information is available. In my broadcast, I try to clarify, here's what we really know. Here's what we know, and beyond that is merely making inferences. Sometimes, indeed, one's predictions will come to pass. They will come to fruition. Sometimes they won't. But people speak so definitively about things. In my broadcast, like I said, I just try to give a bit of, pers- a bit of perspective. I try to just say, here's what we know. Here are the facts of the situation. They may not agree with our personal biases, but that doesn't change the reality of things. I'll tell you what, though. At least of the people who listen, it's extremely well-received. The coverage is, uh, is met, really, with, uh, with only positive reactions. I think people, people enjoy hearing something that just isn't, isn't just one-sided. And, um... It feels good, at least, to know that it's having, even if it's a small effect, that it's reaching people who appreciate it. And, um, like I was saying early in the broadcast, that's where a lot of my motivation to do that radio show five days a week comes from. Because at least I know that it's genuinely appreciated by genuine people out there. It's not just being listened by people who will just laugh at it. It's not just being listened, no offense to people listening to this, who are just going to sit there and fall asleep to it, and I could just sit here and, you know, repeat the same short passage of text over and over, and they wouldn't even know the difference because they're sleeping. Um, you know, it's, it's people who actually listen. They listen, and in accordance with that, they understand, and they want to learn, and uh, that's a, such a motivating force, you know, to get to the microphone. Anyway, you just add, uh, we live in a world crippled and subjugated by the average person's intransigence to act any way contrary to the mainstream and popular rhetoric. Independence in thought is not a superannuated phenomenon, but in fact, empirical precept crucial to the continuity of a productive and harmonious society freer from manipulation, among other travesties. Many of your traits, phlegmatic, pragmatic, perspicacity, panoptic, an old soul, among other lost altruistic and moral character adages, which the framers of our great nation possessed to build this great country and contribute meaningfully to our world, are reflected in my life and personality. Your efforts are appreciated, and it is my hope to call you a friend. You're receiving the best wishes from Rhode Island. You likewise add, uh, find the links to an interesting Supreme Court case upcoming on the docket in the October session, which may be an interesting topic to mention to your viewership. As many of us know the controversy and significance of Andy Warhol. So thank you, Alexander for your email. So I think, obviously, we're all familiar with Andy Warhol, the very famous uh, artist, 
especially known for pop art. He died back in 1987. And what's essentially going on is you have this copyright dispute that has made it all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear a Warhol copyright infringement case that's been bouncing around the courts since 2017. This high-stakes case, which asks whether Warhol's appropriation of Lynn Goldsmith's photograph of Prince in a silkscreen series qualifies as fair use, and it will have significant implications for artists who utilize copyrighted material in their work. You have Lynn Goldsmith, who's a photographer whose images of musicians have featured on numerous album covers. She photographed Prince on assignment for Newsweek in 1981. Three years later, she licensed the rock star's image to Vanity Fair to be used as a reference for an artist's illustration in an article on Prince, Purple Fame. Warhol, who produced the illustration for the piece, proceeded to use the photograph without Goldsmith's permission or knowledge as the basis for 15 silkscreen prints and drawings known as the Prince series. Goldsmith became aware of Warhol's Prince series in 2016 when, after Prince's death, Vanity Fair featured a work from the series on a commemorative cover. When the photographer approached the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, which holds the copyrights to Warhol's work, alleging that her own copyright had been violated, the Foundation sued her, arguing that Warhol had transformed the character of the image through color changes, cropping, and more to give Prince a mask-like appearance that commented on the nature of the celebrity. In 2019, Manhattan's Federal District Court ruled in favor of the Andy Warhol Foundation, affirming that Warhol's series was protected under the Fair Use Doctrine because it transformed Prince, as they said, from a vulnerable, uncomfortable person to an iconic larger-than-life figure, adding that each work is recognizable as Warhol rather than a photograph. Now, the first part of that is kind of, I think that's up for debate. You can kind of say, I don't know. You know, that's kind of how they interpret it. I think the second part, though, I could understand, um, where people would recognize Warhol's work as opposed to, um, you know, that'd be an Andy Warhol piece as opposed to a doctored picture of Prince. But anyway. They continued... Goldsmith petitioned the Second Circuit Court of Appeals to review the decision. In 2021, they reversed the ruling, declaring that the Goldsmith photo provided a recognizable foundation for Warhol's work, and that the latter artist's celebrity status shouldn't affect the ruling, calling out celebrity plagiarist privilege. (laughs) You know, but again, that court also, I think, does have a basis for their ruling, you know, the photo does provide a recognizable foundation for his work. That is true. I think that's irrefutable. In late 2021, the Warhol Foundation sought Supreme Court review, arguing 
the Second Circuit's decision threatens not only the production of future pieces of art, but also the availability and enjoyment of current works, and could restrict First Amendment expression. The Supreme Court agreed to take the case, marking one of the rare moments when contemporary art becomes a discussion topic in the nation's highest court. So it will be interesting to see what um, what comes of this, and uh, obviously this may have some repercussions in terms of uh, copyright and all of that going forward. So it, it will be interesting to see the uh, repercussions this has, and I don't really know how the Supreme Court will uh, will go. I myself have, you know, some mixed views on this. You know, it gets to a point, I don't know if you should necessarily... Because some things have always bothered me. It's like, I remember an instance, I'll use myself as an example. There was a time, years ago, where someone took a screenshot from a review of mine... And essentially all that the guy did was invert the colors and change the color of one thing or two. But in the end, it was still just a screenshot from my video with a few of the uh, the colors um, altered. And the thing, you know, I didn't... The work itself, I mean, didn't really bother me. But I forget how a particular conflict arose, but the guy was a real jerk, and was furious at me. I forget why it was. I think this was, again, years ago. Maybe I featured it in one of the old VORW shows from, you know, like seven, eight years ago at this point. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, get over yourself. All you did was take a screenshot of my video and mess around in, you know, what might even just be Photoshop or Microsoft Paint or something, and you're acting like you spent dozens of hours on this and like it's an original piece of yours, get over yourself. It's interesting, but it's low effort. It's not like you drew this yourself and did anything aside from, again, inverting a color or two. You know, I wasn't really concerned at all about copyright or anything, but I just thought that was kind of silly. And um, it was more the attitude that came along with it. But that's kind of an example. You know, a lot of the time, the fan art that I get, I don't really get that much anymore because obviously this is merely in uh, audio form, not video form anymore. But, uh, you know, a lot of the fan art that I get is what you could easily consider almost all of it. I'd say like 99% is original original work. Even if something is based off of a picture of me or a still from a video, etc., it's done by the artist and it's their own original work, you know? It's not, they didn't take a screenshot and just invert the colors, you know? There's more to it than that. It's not like they just used the screenshot as a basis for their own uh, drawing or painting or digital art. You know, there's a difference between that. So things like that, I think, do need to be recognized and clarified. And, um, you know, it, 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 
it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court, I'll tell you this, a lot of people just look at the folks on the Supreme Court and think, well, they're on the Supreme Court for crying out loud. So obviously these people are top of the line and know best. (laughs) I don't know about that. Last year, I kind of decided to sit in, not in the physical sense, but I decided to listen to the oral arguments for a variety of cases that the Supreme Court was uh, arguing as I was covering them in the radio show. And, uh, my goodness, if some of these people on the court are supposed to be the, <laughs> the greatest legal minds of our time, God help us. So, don't necessarily... And I'm not even speaking in terms of any sort of partisan um, opinion. This is just based on what I heard. Don't trust these folks to make the right decision on anything. Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't, but I kind of look at it. Based on what I heard, it's more akin to just throwing things at a dartboard and seeing where they land, and sometimes you'll get that hit, sometimes you won't. Because any faith and any confidence I had went right out the door after I heard that. It was, uh, it was almost horrific in some, in some cases, and you think, you know, wow, this is, this is what it is. I mean, this is what it's come down to. This is the Supreme Court. So, maybe there was a time where it actually met what you would expect. But I don't think it's at that point anymore. Nor has it been, probably, for a while. But it might not have always been that way, but it sure is now. Yeah, it's crazy. That's interesting. Like, according to the uh, Supreme Court website... It says the Constitution does not specify qualifications for justices such as age, education, profession, or native-born citizenship. A justice does not have to be a lawyer or a law school graduate, but all justices have been trained in the law. So I wonder if that's the case. I mean, obviously it would come from the, you know, you have the executive and the legislative branches that have a voice. You know, I think the president picks who's... uh, going to be nominated, and then I think it goes through the Senate, if I'm not mistaken. But theoretically, so it's like, could the president, let's say, just nominate, uh, I don't know, the guy who delivered the chicken nuggets over to to my house tonight, could he nominate that guy and say, all right, he's going to be my Supreme Court pick at this point? I mean, I guess that could happen. And even if this guy isn't a lawyer whatsoever. Let's say the Senate just nominated him. I guess he would then get trained in law after that, but I guess he could be a Supreme Court justice in that case. I guess anyone could be, theoretically, but obviously it's going to be more than that. You know, it it, it wouldn't be something like that. Obviously, qualifications, you know, are taken into account, but there's, you know, debate, obviously, about that. Like what you're seeing with the, uh, you know, the current... Um, process where they're nominating a a justice right now for the Supreme Court. You know, some people like her, some people don't. Some people say, yeah, you know, well, she has the qualifications, but I disagree with her views on this, this, and this. Other people say, oh, I think, you know, she's the type of person we need on the court. And, you know, a lot of that comes to, uh, you know, partisanship and uh, 
one's personal views on things, and then that'll depend, you know, on political uh, political uh, parties and affiliations and preferences, etc. Interesting stuff. Thanks for your question and kind words. You're listening to VORW International. Olivia in the UK. Firstly, I always wondered whether you prefer to be addressed as John, Review Bra, or the Report of the Week. I say this with no ill intent. I, I don't care. You could call me whatever you want to call me at this point, so... Any name of your choice. There's no preference, so... Whatever you want to use, if you want to call me John, you can do that. If you want to call me Review Bra, you can do that. If you want to call me the Report of the Week, you can call me that too. You can call me Review Bro, you can call me Lecturer, you can call me some profane remark, though that'll probably lower the chances of getting to the email on the show, but I mean, I don't care. Say whatever you want. What's it to me? So, there's no preference. Secondly, I've been dying for an update regarding the Starbucks water cup installation featured in your last Average Day video. Has there been any more progress? Have any new elements been added, or has it been taken down completely? Thank you, Olivia. Uh, It's still there. Uh, It's still honestly exactly as it was for the video. I uh, collect the cups. I don't know why I do. I just collect them. And uh, I kind of just set it up that way. That that whole thing was just a joke for the video, really. It was just uh, something that I made up on the spot. Um, I have piles of cups stacked up just sitting there in the corner. But uh, no rhyme or reason. It's not for an art project or anything. I mean, you could do fun things with them, but... I don't know, I just save them, because that's just what I do. Um, but the one that I, I made uh, for that segment of the Average Day video is just something to try to fill the time, and uh, that was... Uh, it's still there. I haven't touched it at all. Even the balloon, obviously deflated, is still hanging there from. So... Uh, If you're wondering about it, I haven't taken it down, nor do I intend to. I'm just going to keep it there. I don't care. I'll keep it there for years. It's not doing anyone any harm by staying there. An anonymous listener writes, This is a dark time in the world, to interject, it sure is. And your podcast helps to think and get through the situation better. It's crazy how you found a Russian signal hours before the invasion. Really interesting content. Hope the podcast still will be running. It is. Well, here here we are. It's all going. Still going. Going strong. It was a remarkable coincidence. I didn't think they were going to do it. I really didn't. And, uh... You know, there were some of the warning signs... Because that evening, I went to sleep at around 7 p.m. Eastern. That evening, you were starting to get all of these notices to airmen warning about the airspace. And that was strange. They were all just popping up like crazy, like something was going to happen. And then these frequencies started lighting up on the shortwave, 
with all of these Russian stations calling in, hundreds of them, all just kind of checking in, testing out their equipment. And that struck me by surprise, and it made me actually consider, what if? But I went to sleep not expecting to wake up hearing that it actually happened. So imagine my surprise, you know, when I woke up at like 2 a.m. hearing about the invasion that had begun. It's crazy stuff. All right, and we had one more break. Now I am back, and this is going to be it. This is the final batch of emails that we're going to get to in this program anyway. Of course, there will be more, but this will be it for now. So let's just make our way through a little bit and uh, see what we have. So let's work our way. All right, first email comes in from Hawthorne, who writes, Hello, Report of the Week. I've never written in before, but I wanted to say that I've listened to many of your podcasts, broadcasts, and anything I could. And I always wanted to say something, but never knew what to say to get right to it. After the pandemic, the violence, the politicism, and social divide on news media and all over, can we go back to, quote, normal, unquote? Will things return to any sense of any of anything, or is this how the world is now? And is it better, worse, or neither? Thank you, have a good day. Thank you, Hawthorne. Now I understand what you're saying. Uh, obviously, it's a subjective sort of thing, but... Uh, no, there's no going back. Um... In my opinion, anyway. This is just my opinion. I'm not saying this definitively. It's just what I think, what I believe. But uh, I could be wrong. But I don't think there's any going back. I mean, if you even want to go... Now, I think things are going down this road for a long, long time. You could probably even start pinpointing things, at least in recent times, um, to the invention of the smartphone and... uh, Really, that's what I think set it off, and then the proliferation of social media and uh, all of that, and things have just been going that way ever since, but if you even want to just look more recently and look at pre-COVID, oh no, we're we're not going back, that's, you know, it's a different world now, and and that's just the way that it's going to be, you know? Now, for better, for worse, um, for me, I would say definitely for worse. I think these last few years, it's brought out a lot of the worst in people. And it's good in some ways, because you get to uh, see who's kind of vile right from the surface level. But at the same time, it's disheartening when you realize just how many people are that way. But... I kind of see society driving itself into the ground, and uh, there's no turning back at this point. We've, we've, you know, it's just going to be what it is. Enjoy uh, what's left. And that's all that I could tell you, you know, try not to get despondent. Try, look at the first words that I said in this show, pretty much, just try to find those things that keep you going. In life, it's an individual thing because now, now's the time to savor and 
hold dear that sort of stuff now more than ever. So thank you, Hawthorne, for writing in. Uh, Nina writes in with two questions. Question one, what do you typically do with the fan art sent to you through email? Well, these days, I don't really get any, um, because I don't really ask for any, but I, I look at it, and, uh, and that's all that I really do. Um, otherwise, when I would do this in video form, I would save the fan art, and then I would put it in the video, and link the artist's name in the description, and that would be that. But, uh, I think that's a pretty straightforward answer to a, a straightforward question. I, I don't really know what else there would be to do with the fan art. I mean, I don't... I don't know. <laughs> I don't do anything else with it, you know? I don't, uh, print it out and then roll up the, uh, piece of paper roll it up so it's tightly rolled, and then I light it on fire and smoke it. I, you know, I don't do that. Can't say I've ever done that. I don't stack them up in the freezer. Yeah, I just, uh, that's what I do with it. Thank you for that question. Uh, secondly, you say, I would really like you to mention my social media on your main YouTube channel, I am anonymous on social media and want to see what would happen. If you don't decide to do it for some reason, that's totally fine. Yeah, I apologize. I'd, I'd have to pass on that. I, I don't really promote much on social media. If you want to advertise your social media on this program um, for a fee, you're welcome to do that. And then I'll promote it. But, uh, I'm just not one to really uh, do that sort of stuff. And that goes for anyone. You could look at my own YouTube and social media. I'm not one really... I just kind of keep things pretty straightforward with the, uh, with the reviews. But, uh... Thank you for checking in there. The Panda 6400 is checking in. Short email. I uh, just finished the latest episode, and I completely understand why you put ads in the podcast. Well, thank you. I'm glad you understand, and uh, I appreciate that. So thank you for uh, for checking in and for your understanding as well. Pam writes, I've recently binged-watched The Queen's Gambit, and I can't help but think you'd like it. It's retro and pretty wholesome. Have you ever seen it, and when can we expect a new podcast? As for the new podcast, whenever this gets up, I, I can't promise a specific date, sadly. I've never seen The Queen's Gambit. Admittedly, I haven't uh, watched too many uh, television programs as of late, but uh, thank you nonetheless for your suggestion. Luke from Riverside... California. I was catching up on the VORW podcast, and I was intrigued by a pessimistic view on humanity and the role that technology and social media will have on Generation Alpha. 
My question is an extension of this viewpoint. Have you heard of the philosophical movement known as anti-natalism, which holds the position that it is immoral to bring life into this world due to the inevitable suffering and death that it will bring? I'm in agreement with this philosophy and believe it would be noble for every human to refrain from having children so as no new life should have to endure the threats of pandemics, war, corporate oppression, etc. Regardless, it would be nice to hear your opinion on the subject. Wishing you all the best in future endeavors. Kind regards, Luke. Thank you, Luke, for your question. I, I am familiar with the, uh, the viewpoint. Uh, admittedly, pessimistic, my view is, of the present, and even more pessimistic, my view is, for the future, uh, I think that the decision for having kids is still, it's an individual thing, you know, it's, that's just my opinion, you know, it should be up to the individual whether someone wants to have kids or not, and, uh, and that's that. So I, I don't go with the anti-natalism thing. I understand what people mean by it. But at the same time, I do think that there are... There are ways, despite how I perceive things in this world, ways that someone could still have an enjoyable and meaningful existence and a fulfilling existence at that. But it's not guaranteed, and we know that. It's always a gamble. You know, but the thing is, I think, is that life and all of that, to, to be honest, my philosophy is that the whole thing is just a crapshoot. And I think that some people are born inherently evil. I think that, this is just my two cents anyway, like sometimes people say with babies that they're all innocent. I think some of them were just born evil. And sometimes when they're young enough for their behavior to manifest, you even see that. Sometimes I think it's influences of their parents or the environment upon which they are surrounded that can rub off on them. And that could corrupt, in my opinion, a person and make someone who might be a decent human being uh, into a not-so-good person, but at the same time, and I think this is where we start talking about things like psychopathy and whatnot, I think some people are just born with it, and from the first second that they enter this world till the second they leave it, they're just going to be no good. And I think there's more and more people who are that way these days, uh, but both who are born with it, but also those who find such sickening traits desirable and are trying to make themselves that way. Or are being modeled that way by a society at large. You know, that's just my take. But in the end, I think, look, if someone wants to have kids, then they should have kids. <laughs> you know, it's... I just hope people are aware of the circumstances and uh, decide accordingly. But I think sometimes, you know, parents and parenting, they can do everything right, and the kid will turn out just fine. I think there's times where parents can do everything right, 
but the kid is evil from birth, and it's just going to be for nothing either way. And, um, you know, it's just the way the world is. No solution, nothing you can do about it. It's just how it is. That's my thing, though. That's, that's my philosophy, that some are inherently evil, and that it's not just a characteristic upon which is taken on. Short email from Brendan in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Just said, happy to hear you're back on the podcast airwaves. I'm ecstatic that you're back on the podcast train. So thank you, Brendan. Good to hear from you. I think we'll read two more emails. That's my guess. I think we're going to do two more. And then that'll be that. I'm just double-checking here. Like I said, I know this is an enormous waste of time, more so for me than it is for you, because I'm just going to edit most of this silence out, but... I just want to be sure, that's all. Yeah, we reached the end. Okay, two more emails. And then... That is going to be that. So the first email... Comes in... Here it is. I'm a listener... Well, the name is in the subject, but I'm not gonna... Since no name was given in the body of the email, I'll, I'll keep you anonymous. Uh, says, hello from an infantry officer in a third world army. Point about war, Ukraine, Russia, etc. General thoughts of a low-level infantry officer in a third world country cautioned it gets kind of dark. So this is just some perspective, and uh, let's see what uh, this person has to say. As part of the rules of war, you're allowed to shoot civilians, and all combatants should wear a uniform so as not to be confused with civilians. But once you're carrying a weapon, you're no longer a civilian, you're a combatant, and you can be engaged. If you're part of the offense party, and you're searching for guerrilla fighters, and you find in a barn, pig pen, uh, hidden under a flower garden, stored weapons... It's pretty easy to declare the parties as opposition. It's the same thing Americans had to deal with in Iraq. The wiggle room comes when you don't find weapons. What if it's just a uniform or pictures? Although it's not literally a smoking gun, it's quite easy to scoop them up and call the parties guilty. Also, by default, any male of 15 and up is automatically suspicious as the men of fighting age. As it relates to Ukraine, it's easy to scoop up belligerent people for punishment, interrogation, or worse, use your imagination. The excuses of breaking curfew, Molotovs in a house, ammunitions, weapons, photos, surplus military gear, etc. would be justification for detention. I'm not trying to justify Russia's actions, I'm just explaining the military mindset. Like I said, the Americans had the same problem as a result of the second Iraq invasion, 
as it was difficult to determine who were radical Islamists versus former Iraq army versus tribal militia. But at least indefinite detention is better than execution. But that's my take on the mass graves as opposed to old-fashioned genocide. Sadly, all can be explained away under the rules of war. It's the sad part about arming the general population. It makes them combatants. Like I said, I'm not trying to justify what Russia did, but if I was the invading force, I could understand it, especially because conscripts are less disciplined than regular or volunteer army. It's what I think also happened in the East with Azov and the graves in Donbass. I just understand the dark aspect of war. It was once my profession. Thanks for the time. It was a long message. Well, thank you for writing in. And I appreciate, number one, your unique perspective. It's certainly my pleasure to uh, to share your, your take, your, your views. And uh, thank you for taking the time to write to this broadcast with those thoughts. Yeah, admittedly, I understand what you're saying, though. You know, war gets really messy. And for some reason, people occasionally have this sort of illusion that the U.S. never did anything wrong in wars. I mean, give me a break. I think when it comes down to wars, the rule of war, etc., you know, things happen. Every country in the entire world that's fought a conflict has very likely committed war crimes of some sort. It's just, how does one want to define them? Will people look the other way? Etc., etc. It's like, you know, when it comes down to civilian deaths, etc. You have the military strikes that, you know, the U.S. brands them a lot as precision strikes that... uh especially years ago, I mean, we still do it to this day, but more so in the past, uh, we would launch across the Middle East. And we would say, all right, you know, it's a precision target. We're going to use a drone strike or an airstrike, and we're going to blow up this building here. And because for this, this, and this reason, we blow up the building and all the civilians next to the building get killed as well. You know, People would say, well, are those war crimes? Yeah, you know, but we needed to get rid of the target. That's collateral damage. This sort of stuff happened quite a bit. And at the very least, you know, even regardless of its prevalence, such things like that have an impact on the local population. It's like I remember watching a lot of videos last year about the Taliban and the Taliban interested me to begin with. You know, I didn't expect that they would be the government of Afghanistan again, let alone so quickly. But I would watch videos and interviews that people would conduct. They'd go into, at the time, the parts of Afghanistan that were controlled by the Taliban and would interview villagers and even the Taliban fighters themselves to uh, get perspective. Now, obviously, one could say, well, are the people being interviewed, are these their sincere feelings? You know, are they being coached into these responses or do they really feel this way? 
I think a lot of it is the latter, especially given how the situation in Afghanistan unfolded so quickly. And as you can see over the months, there hasn't been any sort of massive guerrilla war across the country or anything. Um, people, even if it's reluctantly or begrudgingly, just kind of accepted that, all right, the Taliban, they're the guys in charge. But I think especially in the rural areas controlled by the Taliban, I, I, I believe a lot of the feelings people expressed in those videos uh, were genuine. I think that's what they truly believe. It's just my two cents. It's just the impression that I got. But you would have people saying, I started supporting the Taliban because of the strikes that were done by the West and by the now former Afghan government. My brother got killed. My daughter got killed. My best friend got killed, etc. And... Because of that so-called collateral damage, there went any chance of support from these folks. And some of them probably would support the Taliban because they agree with their ideals. Other people might support them just because they hate the West, and they hate the former Afghan government, and even if they don't particularly like the Taliban, it's kind of, you know, the enemy of my enemy uh, type of approach. So, these sorts of things definitely have an impact on people. But, uh, yeah, that's the thing, though. It's like, I understand that people have biases when it comes down to the conflict in Ukraine. Personally, I think it's a complicated situation. You know, I've been following it since early 2014, and uh, and there's just a lot to it. That's all that you could really say. I just kind of think, you know, have people... Did, did people even know that there was fighting going on in the Donbass region of Ukraine for the last eight years now? Were people even remotely aware of that? You know, I don't know just as what it is at this point. But one thing is that if you tell, and I don't care how people take this, I think this is common sense stuff. If you're telling people in the population to pick up arms and either start shooting or start launching Molotov cocktails, etc., they're a target now. Because they are no longer civilians, they are active combatants. It's like, give me a break, you know, people, they act. And it's just because people are, are one-sided. You know, that if someone throws a Molotov cocktail at a passing vehicle with armed individuals therein, that the person who threw the Molotov cocktail shouldn't expect any sort of response from the party that was just hit with flaming liquid. You know, it's like, now people could say, yeah, but they're the occupying force that was attacked and these people are defending. Yeah, but the people are still going to shoot back. That's, that's the way that it works. I mean, you can't just go around and throw Molotov cocktails at things and not expect a response. If people are going to do that, 
and they believe in the cause and they believe that what they're doing is the right thing, they also need to have it in their mind that, look, the minute I go out into public with this Molotov cocktail, I have to understand that today may be my last day on earth. And I have to accept death. I have to accept dying. I have to accept the potential, not guaranteed, but the potential consequences of my actions. If someone accepts that and then, you know, makes that decision, look, this is uh, a war we're talking about, then things would play out as they do. But you can't have someone that just thinks that this is a game and that thinks that, oh, yeah, la di da di da I'll just throw a Molotov cocktail and then go back inside and watch TV, finish eating my, my meal, and expect your life to be the same after doing that. That's, uh, that's ridiculous, and you, would, you should have no business even making one to begin with. People like that, you know, they kind of call them useful idiots. If someone's going to take such action, you just got to be ready for the consequences. It's like... you All of you listening know darn well that you're not going to go outside and if you see a police car driving by, throw a Molotov cocktail at the police car and then expect to just scurry back inside and no one's going to be barging in and breaking down your door and hauling you off to prison for what you did, you know? You understand, if I do that, my life is going to be changed forever. Heck, depending on how things go, I might get shot. And uh, there might be that sort of response from my action. At the very least, I'd be doing some significant time and probably definitely have a felony at this point, charges. So it's just, it's the basic thing, actions and consequences thereof. But war in general is just messy stuff, and sometimes people are so dead set on this uh, dichotomy of sorts where everything has to be good versus evil. Sometimes it's that easy. Sometimes it's more difficult. You know, sometimes I think there's situations where no one's good. And, uh... It just gets complicated, that's all. But... Stuff like that doesn't make for... Social media and television-friendly conflicts. People want it easy. They want it broken down. And... The five-second ultra ADD viewpoint, this good, this bad. You know, no offense to anyone who's actually dealing with ADD, it's a legitimate thing, but I just feel like some things are just catered so much to non-existent attention spans. And then it hit me, I think they just don't want people to think. That's it. (laughs) That's, uh, that's all there is to it. Yeah, war, it's just, it's a horrible thing to begin with, in my opinion. It's a mess. And, uh, a lot of the time, 
you know, there emerges the winners and the losers, but oftentimes it's the folks who live in the conflict area, regardless of their own beliefs, they suffer the most. You know, it's their neighborhood that's getting blown to bits. The places where they lived their lives, where they have family, friends, memories, went about their day in business that now it all ceases to exist. You know, they're the ones who I think have the, the biggest toll of it, especially the innocent civilians who didn't do anything. They just happened to be where the stuff was going on. They didn't ask for it. They didn't probably even want it, most of them. Just where they found themselves and it's a sad to, to think about. That's all you could really say. But thank you for your email, and uh, thanks for writing in. Final email comes in from Michael in Los Angeles, California. And this email, I, I want to read it for a couple reasons. Number one, you've been a pretty long-time listener. I mean, for years at this point. So I just want to res give some respect to you and your viewpoint. I want to let you have your say. And uh, I also want to share a few thoughts anyway. it's This is one of those emails that I was going to omit at first because I know it's going to get a reaction out of some people, some good, some bad. But I have to realize and remind myself, you know, I took this same position back in 2020. I was loud about it then and nothing happened. So, you know, quit being scared and just go for it. So that's what I'm going to do. We've got an email coming in from Michael in Los Angeles who writes... As you've stated many times, you support the use of masks to prevent the spread of COVID. However, it seems that the very clear and obvious science behind, the, uh, behind that has somehow been politicized and twisted to infringing on people's freedoms. I, too, am someone who takes masking seriously, both as a preventative measure, but also out of courtesy and respect to those around me. So, to interject, because this is in reference to the plain mask mandate. Michael, I don't know how you're going to feel about me after this, and that's understandable. Look, if this ends it for you, I mean, it is what it is. It's your choice. That's And I respect it. Like I said, that's why I'm respecting your view right now. I just want to give a clarification, and the reason being is because my position, if you'd believe it, on masks and mask wearing pretty much hasn't changed for literally the entire duration of the pandemic. I mean, this is the position I adopted in early 2020, and it's been unwavering since then. And I just want to clarify it so there's no confusion, not on your end or anyone else's. It's literally the same exact view. It, it has not changed one bit uh, for the duration. I've always been under the philosophy that mask wearing is an individual thing. And 
while it could be encouraged, I think in the end it's up to it's up to the person to make that choice as to what they feel is best. So I've never supported, you know, the mask mandates or any of that. I would wear a mask. I encouraged mask wearing, but to me, forcing people, it just didn't, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel right in early 2020. It didn't feel right in 2021. It doesn't feel right in 2022. And that's just me. That's just how it rubs me. And it, I can't change that. It's just how I feel. I think they could be encouraged, but again, I just don't, uh, I don't believe in forcing it. I think the thing about COVID at this point also is that we're at that point where it's like, I think in terms of restrictions, etc. I just feel anyway, we're at a point with COVID where you're going to have to make a decision at this point, whether you want to get back to as close to normal as you can get or keep things this way forever. I just don't think there's that middle ground. I don't think things are really going to change anymore. You know, it'll kind of undulate a bit, but it's like, you know, you look at what's going on in China with all of the extreme lockdowns, even the rest of the world is criticizing China over that and is saying, look, COVID, I know it could impact certain groups of people worse than others, but this is just hurting, it's causing too much damage. And that's why I I don't believe in the zero COVID policy. I think that's just a fantasy. Pursuing it is just going to harm the population. But anyway, like I was saying about masks, that's just been my view of it the entire time. I don't see anything wrong with wearing masks. I think it's just up to the individual. One thing I do hope, though, is that folks, whether they wear one or don't, simply exercise just the respect and dignity of just being sanitary by that, you know, just try not to cough in someone else's face or sneeze down someone's neck or any of that. I mean, look, pre-COVID, I didn't like that. It always made me feel icky if I was standing online and some guy was coughing on the back of my neck or something. It's like, come on, we don't don't like that. No one does. Um, So COVID or not, you know, hopefully people can just be a bit more respectful in that regard. Here's a little hint, they won't be, but you could always, you could always hope. Now, anyway, putting that aside, I still want to read your email. I'll let you have the floor, and uh, then we'll go from there. So you continue. With all that said, and there's no way to not sound like I'm just kvetching, I happen to be returning from Boston to Los Angeles the day after that judge overturned the mask mandate when flying. Beyond that, it seems that various public transit options followed suit, so I not only got a bunch of unmasked, quote, patriots, unquote, in the airport, but also on the red and silver lines of the T while headed to Logan International. Then there was the plane ride itself, which was excruciating. To give you a little more context on my circumstances, I was actually supposed to fly out from the East Coast earlier, but I was exposed to someone who tested positive for COVID, so I canceled my flight, quarantined for five days, and then got a rapid PCR test. 
for me to put in all that effort to try to minimize the spread, it was a real metaphorical slap to the nuts to be seated between two people who were not only unmasked, but both had coughs, and the one to my left also had a runny nose. While I was wearing an N95 mask, I was concerned about the flight. Even if neither of them had COVID, which I would believe at least they had the decency to take a test, it just led to an absolutely terrible experience. I wound up, in addition to my mask, flipping my hoodie around and wearing it over my face in hopes that another layer would further protect me. That, of course, superheated my body. By the time I got off the plane, I was sweaty and frayed, so I might have put myself through all of that and still caught COVID. Anyway, enough ranting. Michael, now back in L.A. So thank you, Michael, for your viewpoint there. Well, again, I mean, obviously it sounds like you had an unpleasant flight. I, I think it's just, you know, we have to remind ourselves that there was a time before COVID when we would get on a plane even during flu season and no one would be wearing masks or like you would maybe see one person in the entire airport wearing one. And if the people next to you had a cough or a runny nose, you'd think, oh, it's, you know, looks like they're sick. And then you just go about your day. You know, you just watch the in-flight movie or do your thing or whatever. And it, that would just be that. I think for some of us, you know, the COVID situation, I mean, it is what it is. I think it is based on the hospitalizations and deaths at this point, especially the newer variants, I don't think are as much to worry about as the older variants. I mean, if we look at the COVID cases right now, this is something I haven't done in a little while, but like if we look at the COVID cases around the world, they peaked in January of 2022 with the Omicron wave, but they've since been going down and have been continuing to decline, the daily deaths are really low. I mean, we're talking 2,000 deaths in the entire world, and that's it. The deaths haven't been this low. I mean, let's even look. It's actually the other day, it was 1,500. I mean, let's go back and let's find when, the, when it was that low last. Yeah, last time deaths were that low were probably... Looks like March of 2020. So, I mean, the pandemic, in terms of cases, it's winding down a bit. In terms of severity, it most definitely is. These are the lowest daily deaths we've had since the beginning of the, uh, the pandemic. So, I mean, it's down. It's trending down still. And if we look at some of the numbers... For the United States, okay. Well, the U.S. reported 66,000 cases. But then if we look, like, all right, New York reported the most cases. They reported 10,000 
COVID cases per day. But then you look at the number of deaths just per day, 10, 20, sometimes in the single digits, despite the case number going up, and I know they say, you know, deaths lag behind, but cases have been going up since March in New York. And uh, it's obviously people just aren't dropping like flies, and that's great to see. We always have to understand in terms of COVID, you know, it's a disease. It affects people, various people in various ways. I mean, I had COVID back in, uh, back in December. And yeah, I was down for the count for a couple days, but I pulled through. And, uh, you know, I made it. But understandably, you know, it affects everyone differently. But the, the situation where I'm trying to say it gets to a point where, again, we have to look at the numbers now, and in my opinion, we have to accept zero COVID isn't going to happen, and we're just going to have to live with it. You know, the days of trying to eradicate COVID, it's gone. It's just another virus that's around now. And if you accept that something is pretty much permanent at this point, then you have to say, okay. Then we either have to do two things make the temporary measures permanent and deal with the consequences or return to life as we did before and deal with the consequences. And whether one agrees or disagrees, the world collectively has made the choice, pretty much with the exception of China, to return to life before COVID. And you're seeing that everywhere. It's not just a United States thing. It's not just a right-wing thing. You know, you're seeing that everywhere. Across all of the states. You're seeing that in many European countries, which many people here in the United States look up to. So it's one of those things that it's changing worldwide in terms of the easing of restrictions, the easing of mandates. It's not like... Every other country in the world is locked down right now with mandates of all sorts and all shapes and sizes, and the U.S. is the one country uh, blatantly and brazenly going against everything. You know, it's not like that. The whole world is doing this uh, essentially in lockstep. Now, some parts of the U.S. did this before others, like Florida, for instance, uh, you know, eased things up, let's say before... New York or California did. But all these countries are doing this. So I just think, you know, again, whether one agrees or disagrees, the choice has been made at this point. Now, the thing about mask wearing, regardless of mandates, the good thing about it is that, you know, you can still wear a mask. And the good thing about masks is that there's all types of different masks that you could wear that all do different things. I mean, the N95 mask is as good as it gets. I think with all due respect, you know, from the impression that you gave that you put the hoodie on backwards and then put the hood up over the front of your face, 
so it's like a backwards on hood. When you're wearing an N95 mask, I just don't think that, that makes any difference. And uh, it just w it wouldn't matter one single bit. It's the N95 mask and the seal therewith that uh, that would be the game changer there, not the hoodie or, or any of that. You know, it's like we can go through this thing. We can say, well, otherwise we could get obsessive. You know, we could say, well, all right, the N95 mask, but what if, right? Well, what about the eyes and wear eye protection? What about my hands then, you know, wear gloves? What about lingering germs, you know? Well, then desanitize and, you know, then shower very frequently and wipe everything down and use certain sprays. It gets to a point, though, where it starts getting ridiculous and you think, look, is all of this really worth it? That's a decision that you've got to make, though. But the thing with masks, at least, is that, you know, there's different masks for different purposes. I think in the future, go with an N95 mask, keep the seal tight, and uh, then wear a surgical mask over the front of it if you want that extra layer. That way, at least the rest of your face will be cool, and uh, you don't have to do the thing with the hoodie anymore. But, I mean, honestly, I think an N95 mask alone would be more than sufficient. Way more than sufficient. I mean, like, I'll tell you, some of the times that I've traveled, I traveled in late 2020. Um, so this was the year before Omicron. And when I made one flight, and cases were through the roof, I wore a surgical mask and then a KN95 mask over it. And I was fine. Tested negative was uh, no problem there. On a flight back, um, I wore an N95 mask by itself. Totally fine. Not, uh, not sick in the least. You know, you could just wear even a KN95 mask. I've worn those to plenty of places and uh, have been fine in that regard. I've even just sometimes worn a surgical mask. Though honestly, the surgical masks, I kind of... It's just my two cents. I feel like I'm being smothered by them a bit. It's just they aren't really comfortable at all. But I mean, you know, it's just there's different masks for different things. But uh, with the airplanes, like I was saying, I would just advise just go with the N95. If you want to put a surgical mask over the front, just go with that. And, and then, you know, look, you have to accept I'm doing everything I can do. Beyond that, it's out of my hands. That's it. That's because it gets to a point otherwise where you're just going to drive yourself up the wall, focusing on variables which you haven't any control over. And that's not going to do anyone any good. We just have to focus okay, what can I do based on the situation? Wear an N95 mask then, if that's what you want to do. And it doesn't matter in that case, again, if the other people are wearing masks or not. That level of protection is as good as it's going to get either way. So, that's what it comes down to. But again, based on the cases, the hospitalizations, and the deaths, obviously the U.S., or even the rest of the world, is not being hard hit by COVID at this point. Yes, it has. It's, uh, 
impacts, of course, and sometimes it could still be a gamble, but it's not like everyone who's getting it is dropping dead, and that distinction needs to be made. But the other thing, in terms of, of airplanes, here's three things that I thought about with planes when the mandate was lifted. Number one, it actually made me thankful for the flight attendants because I felt so bad for the flight attendants. I think they have a stressful enough job as is that complicating that for years, they had to go around to being the mask police, which is not something that they signed up for to have to get confrontational with passengers, some of whom weren't going to have that and deal with that day after day after day. I can't even imagine the stressful toll that that must take on some folks. So the fact that they don't have to deal with that anymore is, uh, I'm glad that they don't have to put up with that, which makes me glad for the flight attendants. So that's one thing. Second thing is that the air quality in planes is actually better than you'd think. Uh, Nothing's perfect. I mean, absolutely nothing is perfect, but they do have some pretty decent HEPA air filters. Again, like I said, nothing's perfect, but they do a pretty darn good job. It does the best it can. What, What more can you say? The third and final point, it's true, and I've seen it. One of the biggest issues I've also taken with some of these restrictions are the silly loopholes therein. And it's like, if you're going to have these loopholes, why even bother having the restriction in the first place? Then what, what does it even matter? It's like, okay, so before that ruling, you could, or you would have to wear a mask in the plane, but if you're eating and drinking, I mean, obviously you can take the mask off, but you can keep it off for as long as you're eating and drinking for. And I mean, whether one agrees or disagrees with the mandates, you know that that's true. And you see it. I mean, I see it. When I would go on the flights, I would be looking around and then snack time would come and uh, all the masks come off and stay off for, I mean, anywhere for as long as 30 minutes to an hour. People are just, you know, ever so slowly and leisurely um, sipping on their soda or eating their peanuts for two hours just so that they don't have to put the mask back on and they're protected under that, that loophole where it's like, all right, well, if you're eating and drinking, then you can keep it off. So if people are just going to exploit the loophole and just use it to not even wear one to begin with, what's the point of even having one then? You know, by removing it, even for that span of time, long or short, to have the snack, you would be putting yourself at risk of getting um, some sort of pathogenic exposure, be that from anything, COVID, flu, any other virus, you name it. You'd be putting yourself at that risk. So it's like, I don't know, that's always, that's been another thing that 
I thought about, I would think, when you have that and people know about that loophole, they exploit it, no one does anything about it, then why even have a mandate in the first place if people are just going to dance around it the whole time, and that's going to be that? So that's just my two cents about it. But again, regardless of what other people do, focus on the things that you can do. And again, just remember, look, an N95 mask doesn't matter if the people in the plane are all wearing N95. They could all be wearing hazmat suits or they can have no masks on whatsoever. You know, the N95 mask, that's the best you can get. I mean, aside from just wearing a full-blown hazmat suit, I mean, if you want to spare a couple thousand bucks and buy one, go with a, um, there's the different classes of hazmat suits. Uh, what is it? I think it's the class, or the level. Yeah, get a level four hazmat suit. I mean, that's the most you can get. But I don't think one would be able to really get through the TSA wearing one of that, you'd have to just take it off anyway. I don't think they would probably let half that stuff through the security checkpoint. I mean, maybe they would. I I don't know. I think the gas canister and everything would cause some issues. And, and you just have to take it off anyway, and then you would still be risking yourself to exposure. So it's... No. You, it gets ridiculous. Go with an N95 mask. Maybe wear a uh, surgical mask over it if you really want that extra layer. But... In the end, regardless of what other people do, that's the best you can do. And you just have to accept it. You just have to say, look, it's just the situation. I can't control the world, but I can control what I do. That's how a lot of my thought process goes. That's why I say, look, the world just is what it is. It's doing what it's doing. I don't have the hand of God. I can't do this and change that. <laughs> I wish, but it doesn't work that way. You know, that's just not how life is. And I accept that. So I say, all right, understanding that and understanding that I can't just snap my fingers and make all my problems go away, what are some realistic things that I can do? You know, and you just have to think like that. So there you have it. But I know in the end, I think a lot of this discussion... I probably talked about this for probably close to 30 minutes. I think a lot of it would still just come down to, well, I still think there should be a mandate. And in that case, I say, look, you know, I respect your view. I just, I don't see eye to eye on that. And uh, that's all that it comes down to. But in the end, I encourage you to just do what you feel is right for you. Keep wearing the masks. Wear them as long as you want. Wear them anywhere, any place you want. Look, I don't care what someone else does with the masks. Wear 10 masks if you want to. Wear them when you're swimming. Wear them to... I, I don't care. It's your life. It's, it's a mask. It's yours to do with as you wish. So anyway, that's all that I have to say in that regard, but I respect you and I respect your thoughts. And that said, that's all that I have for you in tonight's broadcast. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is VORW.